This is the Oswego Alumni Podcast with your host, Carl Neff. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Oswego Alumni Podcast, presented by the Oswego Alumni Association and WNYO. I'm your host, Carl Neff, and typically for every episode, we bring in different alumni from various fields and degrees to talk with us about their time at Oswego and their lives after graduation. For this episode, we're doing something a little bit different, though. This is the first episode of a three-part series where we are discussing the history of WNYO, Oswego's college radio station. And you know what? Maybe this will help me set the stage a little bit better. WNYO has been at Oswego forever, from the 70s. I look at my clock to see what day it is. So today. Novick in the slot. Novick with a shot. Oh, and blocker save McKay. Novick wanted two. We've had different names. Oswego's College Radio. Laker Radio Your Way. The Laker Radio Network. And Oswego's only alternative. But one thing is for sure, we are W. 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 This is WNYO Through the Years. That's right. This is WNYO Through the Years. And just a reminder that the views and opinions on the podcast are of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Oswego Alumni Association, SUNY Oswego, or any of its officials. Today we will start the series talking about the station's beginnings as WOCR in the early 70s. Next episode will be the 80s and 90s, followed by our final episode covering the 2000s up till today. I have with me today Hank Volpe, class of 1973, who has had a vast variety of radio jobs, most specifically working as an engineer. He has worked for WBAL in Baltimore, and he is the recently retired Vice President of Technology for WPVI-TV in Philadelphia. Thank you, Hank, for sharing your time with me today. Now, everyone has a story as to why they joined an organization that they're very proud of. Why did you join WNYO, or I should say WOCR for you, in the first place? Well, the short story, which no, which is the truth initially was I was in an elevator in Fennell Hall coming down and somebody who I don't know mentioned, hey, you're going to go work for the radio station again this year? Uh, I don't know. I know they just moved over to the union. I don't know if it'd be as much fun. And I went, they have a radio station? (laughs) So I found it and met the, you know, two of the founding members, John Krause and John Long. And they said, hang here and watch what's going on. And um, in a week or two, you can start on the air too. So that's how I got initialized. But what happened was it became addictive. It was so full of energy, so much fun. So many people in the beginning of their careers who didn't exactly know where this would go. That energy became the drawing factor. The fact that it was just fun to do. And the backdrop of those times was it wasn't a fun time to be in college with the Vietnam War going on, protests, Kent State, on and on and on. It was very scary, but these people made it feel like home. And it became a fraternity, a collection of people, a bunch of folks who just had a passion. And that's what kept me there throughout my college career. Now, we know that WNYO is currently located in the Murano Campus Center. And before that, we know that as WOCR and for a time at WNYO, it was located in the Hewitt Union Building. But where was it before that? It was in um, Seneca. It was a dorm room in Seneca, John Long's dorm room. And 
it, like I said, it may have branched out to a room, but that had taken place, you know, the couple of years before I had gotten there. And it was like, it was the dream of those two guys to kind of make it go. There was a gentleman, Mike Lazar, who was a senior when I was a, a freshman, who also worked on that. And the three of them, with mainly more of the two Johns, uh, got the ability and convinced the college to give them some initial funding, or the student association, not the actual college, uh, to give them some initial funding. And they made a basically next to an electrical closet in the Hewitt Union, uh, room 222, they set up the original radio station, which was extremely underwhelming. Now, though you were there in the 70s, there were still people that had started the station before you. Can you talk to us about what it was like to work with the founders of WNYO and WOCR, seeing how long the station has lasted? Oh, sure. Um, my first year there uh, was John Long's last year there. And again, he was the one who got the original idea and teamed up with John Krause to make it go. And John was the program director at the time. John had an amazing talent for radio. And I think, again, when you look at what he was able to do with WRVO over his long tenure as a general manager, it's obvious that he was an innovator. And it was his vision to make the station sound like it was a commercial radio station because that was what people were listening to. And the only way for the station to succeed was if the people in the dorms would listen to us as opposed to any of the other stations they would be able to pick up or no radio at all. John had a great voice. He was good at production. He was good at teaching. He had strict standards. He had rules and regulations for being on the air. He explained why. And that made us all feel, and <laughs> another important thing, which he was very clever at is we all had titles. So we bought in. We weren't just, you know, and again, not everybody because there were people who weren't that good, but it was a, a school thing. So they would put them on the air in the middle of the night or some odd other times. But I'm talking about the core group of folks. Um, we all had titles and we all bought in. We all had a say in how things went. So it became extremely personal. We listened and he critiqued things. And if there was a suggestion he could make, to make us be better, he would tell us. If we did something wrong, we would hear it. It could be very intimidating. But that galvanized us because we understood that this was the real world. And if we want to go out and work somewhere, we have to put up with this. You know, the program directors and radio stations in the 70s and 80s were extremely critical. You never got a call saying, hey, I listened to your show. It was a great show. Keep it up. No, it didn't happen. So one fed off the other. Um, there were a couple of kids who, well, kids, <laughs> uh, relatively speaking, when I was a, a junior, who um, were starting at the station, who had promise. And what I would do is, since it was so tough to get airtime, I'd invite them to come on the show in the morning. We'd come up with comedy bits. We would work uh, routines in. We would spend hours after the radio station were, uh, or after the air shift working on things for the next day. One of those people was Al Roker who would stop by two, three times a week. And sometimes we would get into trouble because John wasn't too happy with the fact we weren't playing music, <laughs> but we were 
entertaining people nonetheless. So he would look the other way and nobody else would have the opportunity to do this except me. Luckily for us, you're able to find a segment from your show when you had your friends Al and Rich on your show. Let's check it out. That's what you call a really pretty tune. Uh, it's by request this morning, Diana Ross. We're just letting things all fly away. Speaking of flying away, hello, Rich. Hi, how you doing? I just wanted to see if you were still awake. Oh, I'm still awake. When I'm and, listening uh, to your show, well, what other state could I be in? Uh, the, the only thing that I really... California! <laughs> the only thing I really wanted to turn the mic on for this morning while you were sitting in the studio yes. is to ask you just one question. Yes. Why in the middle of my joke did you walk in, point to a piece of paper, pull the chair up and sit down? Oh. Um, you got 20 seconds. Go. The 7th of March. Hmm. He's original, isn't Rich he? Rich learns numbers, too. You're big. You know, you're... I look at my clock to see what day it is. Oh, I hope yeah. you go bald a lot quicker. <laughs> <laughs> Is it safe to say no one is safe from ever being embarrassed or made fun of on air? Now, you also mentioned before this clip about people being stuck onto a certain schedule or format. Uh, what do you mean by that? They were bound to something called a format clock, which was extremely popular at the time with radio stations. There was a gentleman, Bill Drake, who invented the Drake format. And most of these stations in the country, you know, WABC, CKLW, they were all on that format. So he had a friend who worked at a radio station. We stole a copy of the format and we became a Drake station without becoming one. So, and in fact, to make the professional sound, they even went out and we found a way through advertising to buy a jingle package, which was again, very big back in the seventies. And it was a Pam's professionally done jingle singers, you know, and uh, the sound of the station just, it was being on, you could hear somebody sounding professional, you wanted to sound more professional, which made somebody else sound more professional, made somebody else do their job more, made the, the program people more in tune with what was going on, which made the sales force more motivated because not only could they sell, but they could bring something to the advertiser and listen to this. This is as good as any of the stations you can hear. And, you know, this is what we're doing. I don't know if there would have been another time, but that period, you know, between 70 and maybe 77, where I think that was a wonderful commercial radio experience without working at a real station owned by somebody. You know, it was so fortunate that it was there, that it just, and it complemented uh, our schooling because we were learning about stuff, but then we could go do it. You know, we had a radio production lab but that we could go do the radio production. And that's why I think so many people were so successful and continue to be throughout, you know, throughout the history of the school, more, more professional or uh, more successful than a lot of big school programs are. And Hank, you're mentioning how important professionalism was with your station back, uh, back in the day in the 70s. And, and you know what? Let's take a listen to more of your tapes back from the 70s uh, to see how you sounded back then. Oh, whatever happened to the good old days of jazz rock? Uh, that's a group called Cold Blood out of San Francisco. Since they were so good, they never made it. Ah, uh, yeah, speaking about radio, it's 23 minutes past the hour of 1 o'clock, Sleep and Snore edition of Rise and Shine with Sean Davidson on the Night Watch. We'll explain it later. 
A group that hails from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. That's a good enough town to pick. I haven't the faintest idea where they come from. That's the fabulous rhinestones. And, uh, solid gold, right, to make you feel old. God, it's early. <laughs> it's, uh, I think 60 out, 52 degrees outside. That's a good number to pick, too. Our weather forecast, cloudy periods, a chance of showers, possibly a thunderstorm tonight. The low in the mid-40s, cooler in some valley areas. High tomorrow will be in the 70s, but that's today. That's yesterday's forecast. I don't believe the word I'm saying anyway. But you can believe that this is a spinner. Sean Davidson, I really like that. I think it's really cool that we were able to get your clips from back in the day um, and get them you know, digitized so we can even listen to them nowadays. Now, Hank, we were talking again about professionalism and how big that was in the station, and that's something that we're focusing on now with WNYO. So how did you go about formatting the station? That's something that does change over time, but it does seem like over the years some things do stay the same, but I'm curious to see how you guys went about formatting uh, WOCR back in the 70s. The program manager, who at the time was John Krause too, would select the music. We would rate the music from 1 to 50, even though it was a top 40 station, there was room to break new songs and everything was on that clock so that the sound of the station could stay consistent from 6 a.m. in the morning until you know midnight or, who, or whoever was on, if they, even if they were a little weak at necessarily communicating to an audience. So it was the music that was the primary driver and, and the whole idea was even if somebody was not quite that good that if somebody did tune in they were going to hear the stuff that they liked and it was going to be in a progression and that was really the hook especially you know when you would go nowadays you know it's what 20 in a row you know without commercials or more is less well that was again built into this format where there'd be sections where there'd be two or three songs back to back and so you didn't hear a commercial you didn't get a tune-out factor. Um, and that was extremely important to that whole sound. Even when we did news, which we had a, a news director and we had a sports director and everything else, that was all segmented into basically a one and a half to two minute block because there would be people saying, oh, I'm about the news. I want to hear music. So it was all about making the radio station something that nobody wanted to tune out. The real problem we had was up until we made a deal with the cable in town, the only place it went was to the dorms. And that didn't change until, I guess it was WNYO, got the FM license. So that was quite a period of time. Certainly automation has made that a lot better because now the, the program manager, director, music director can basically determine when a song is going to get played at which time and how much and schedule it all on the computer, you know. Uh, back in those days, it was like, okay, you know, we had a three-hour limit. If a song played, you couldn't play it again for three hours. So we could keep rotating through the top five. Because, you know, the problem you would have is sometimes there was a song that was really popular and everybody would play it every time there was a spot for that particular thing come up. And, you know, then it made the station sound repetitive. And you didn't want that either. You wanted it to be predictable, but not repetitive. All those things we learned at 18, 19, 20 years old without any formal education. And certainly this wasn't something that on the um, academic side was ever discussed. It wasn't relevant to learning 
what you needed to learn to become a broadcast major. It, it wasn't relevant. It wasn't relevant. I mean, broadcast law was relevant. Okay, broadcast production was relevant. not this. So we came out of there and we all got jobs in radio right away because we were familiar. It didn't matter to them. We understood what a radio station was trying to do: maximize listenership, no tune out, make money. And that's one of the reasons why, again, when we hit the cable, we were so successful that the uh, guy who owned the radio station in the town wanted us taken off because we were hurting his business. <laughs> who knew? Okay, Hank. So one more question before we go to the break. What would be your tip for someone who is trying to start a show either at WNYO or in the real world? You got to have something people want to listen to. You got to have a reason for people to want to go take time out of their day to go put you on because otherwise you're, you're just a bunch of college kids talking about crap with a microphone open. Well, you know what? Maybe it might be interesting crap and maybe it might not be interesting crap. That's not a way to, you know, build an audience. On that note, we will go to a little bit of a break. When we come back, I got a couple of clips from when Hank and a couple other alumni from WOCR were at the uh, the reunion this past year, and they had um, some interesting topics about what it was like to be at OCR during the 70s uh, amid some very controversial times. Also got a little surprise audio coming for you after the break, too, so stay tuned. The Oswego Alumni Podcast is brought to you by WNYO and the Oswego Alumni Association. I work out every day. COVID won't kill me. I have antibodies. COVID won't kill me. I'm partying outside. COVID won't kill me. I'm 25. COVID won't kill me. It's been a long week. COVID won't kill me. I don't need to wear a mask around my friends. COVID won't kill me. I'm 23. COVID won't kill me. If I haven't gotten it yet, COVID won't kill me. I'm young. COVID won't kill me. Famous last words. Don't let them be yours. Be New York tough and smart. Socially distance. Mask up, America. Brought to you by New York State and the Ad Council. The Daily Ski Report for Radio 64. 20 minutes past the hour, 7 o'clock on Rise and Shine, 42 degrees in the port city. Get up and tango with your roommate. I don't care if they're still sleeping. <laughs> the last tango in Paris, Chuck Mangione and Orchestra. There's a little Sean Davidson, better known as Hank Volpe, on our episode today. It is the Oswego Alumni Podcast and our special WNYO Through the Years episode. Again, we're going to have three of these. This is the first one. We got Hank here. I'm really excited to have you to talk to you and especially to hear all these clips that you've had um, from back when you were on air. Now, I have another clip right here from when you came for the WOCR reunion this past year and um you guys brought up some very interesting topics and in this clip one of your friends Stu Hellman from back in the day uh, talks about what it was like to be on the radio amid the um the draft for the war back in the 70s here let's check it out uh, one of the people here you know people are there people here folk uh, folk, folk. folk one of the folk, folk here Stu has a very interesting story to tell about that yes thank you it uh it's it still brings uh it still brings uh tears as some of you here know to my uh to me but let me get through it um one day a year for those of you who might remember, there was a draft lottery, as you mentioned, and they would uh, pick numbers out of a hat all 365 or 366 days mm-hmm. of the year. And we used to have a big scoreboard, as you mentioned, yeah. up on the uh, on the wall in the station. We had a teletype 
and the the teletype would spew out one date at a time with what the what the number was. Everybody got a number. I think I was twenty. You were twenty. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's why. I came. That's what I said. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was the year. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, I was three oh four, but and and. We had people at every phone. There were 12 phones in the station, and we had a person on every phone because the phones just started to light up, and people would call, and they'd ask for not only one birthday, but many birthdays, any any person that they knew, whether it be a family member or a friend or, or, or whatever. And they would ask us, you know, what about this date, what about that date? And we'd say, oh, well, it's not posted yet, or, oh, it's this number. Well, I'll tell you, if it was a number like below 50, it was very difficult yeah. because these people would burst out oftentimes crying. Yeah. And you'd be on the other end of the phone, and you, you, you're there to try and almost console them uh, because if it was under 50, there was a good shot that they were going. So it was... Uh, it was it, it was a difficult time, and uh, um, uh, I, I mean, but it's something that that we all had to, had to do. It was a public service. Yeah, yeah. and I re- I remember my number was one fifty four or one fifty seven, and that year they drafted to like one forty six, but I got called up for the physical, mm-hmm. so I had to go down to Syracuse, and I'll never forget they sat us in a room and they said this is the standard intelligence test it would do you the best you could do is to pass it on the first time if you don't we have a second test and if you don't pass that we have a third test and if you don't pass that we have a test with all right answers <laughs> so there was no way you weren't going to pass the test cuz people figured well I'll just be dumb you know yeah. and i remember being down there with a guy um who i did not know but he had gone to school here and he had was sure he was going to get drafted because I think he was like 140. And so he took the test, and then he took off for Canada. We never saw him again. That was really? it. He just went like, to... me, though, I, I have to clean the story up because people here had heard the real story yesterday. But all I can tell, tell you is I had never gotten drunker in my life <laughs> on New Year's that year. Because that meant the numbers started all over again. (laughs) So they had to go all the way through another year before. And if they didn't get enough people, then they would come back and grab us. And, yeah, uh, I don't think I saw for three days. It was fabulous. Son, have you ever been arrested (laughs) scary times on campus? Uh, We we did have, remember in 70, we did have, they closed the school early. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if many people know that, but they closed the school early. You you had a choice of taking a pass-fail or... uh, whatever grade you had at that point and uh, it was difficult uh, I was doing nights uh, on WRVO and there were rumors going around that there was going to be a bombing on campus and mm-hmm. that the radio stations were possible targets and I was the only one in Lanigan Hall alone at, you know, up till midnight or later at night and I asked campus security to walk me to my car every night it was yeah. very frightening uh, we, uh, I asked Bill Shigley to, if we could make some contingency plans if something did happen can we set up a remote studio somewhere uh, where we could continue broadcasting. And there were some random fires in dorms, and there were other acts of, you know, and this was all in response to uh, the Kent State shootings. Mm -hmm. That was what really was the trigger at that time, you know, what had happened there, and it just carried over.
Now, after hearing that again, Hank, uh, can you go into more detail about how the times were different back then? It was it was really a, a different time in a lot of ways, which is why, uh, you know, when you talk about that, the things us who worked at the radio station remember from those times was the bonding, because it was really a a difficult time to be in school. You know, a lot of people were being taken out for the war. Uh, a lot of people were uh, very, very depressed. Um, there was a lot of socializing, you know, because drinking was legal. <laughs> so, you know, every night you'd be out till at 5.30 at night and you'd drink until, you know, 12 or 1, and you'd get up the next morning and go to school. So all those things led to a lot of people having uh, an emotional need to be together. And that's why, you know, personally, I preferred the, the company of the folks over getting drunk and not being able to stand up. It, it was a lot more rewarding and it's made some lifelong friends. There were protests. Some of the protests turned ugly. There were fires set. There were threats of bombings, at some college buildings, which we all sat back and again, kind of very naively as freshmen went, that's taking place 600 miles away. Why is this happening here? Um, you know, obviously, if we had been a little bit older at the time, we would understand the global significance of reacting to something like that. But we were just like, you know, it was between scared and confused. You know, it, it was a very, very, you know, again, the radio station, at least, you know, we would all huddle up there and we would all share that concern. You know, and it really did help. I mean, there was a Christmas when we all stayed up there because, you know, to volunteer to keep the station going. And we were all looking at each other like, you know, <laughs> it's Christmas. This is kind of sad. What's with us? So one of us um, had the idea, well, let's go out and get a Christmas tree. So we got a bunch of two-way radios we had. We got a couple of cars. We hopped in them. We found a farmer's field. We dropped off a crew. They cut down the tree. They, I came by in my car. They threw it in the trunk of my car. We did a U-turn in the farmer's driveway, came back, set it up in the radio station. And we didn't have decorations, but we did have a lot of audio tape. So we shredded up the audio tape, made it tinsels, and put it on the tree. Oh my and we God. all felt better for it. But again, in hindsight, vandalism, stealing, I mean, just add them all up. <laughs> yeah, it was the wrong thing to do. All I got to say is good luck trying to do that now. But let's take it back to another clip that was from when you guys came on the radio station during the WOCR and WNYO reunion. I mean, that was that was an interesting time to try to get through. But then we also had some silly times, which you guys probably will remember. I remember. Silly okay. Time. Um, the first Earth Day. Does anybody remember being out in front of Culkin Hall when they buried the Volkswagen? Do you remember? Because nobody here knows that story. Nobody here realizes there's a Volkswagen somewhere in front of Culkin Hall, buried, and you know, there were there were pictures of it. And it's it's got to be somewhere really? in the history. But it's something that would be interesting to look up. Um, I think it's funny you bring up Earth Day, Hank, because we had a whole podcast about the first Earth Day at Oswego. It's in front of Culkin Hall. It's a Volkswagen. It was in terrible shape. That's why they got it. I, it probably was. I don't even know if it was running. But we all dug a big, deep hole. I was there. 
and um, buried the car. And then people took turns with uh, shovels smacking the top of it. <laughs> and then they buried it. And I'm sure everybody who was participating there today owns a Mercedes, a Lexus, or whatever. But, you know, it was the 70s. That reminds me. If anybody wants to hear more about the first Earth Day at Oswego or want to know the actual specific reason why they were hitting the top of the Volkswagen with a shovel, feel free to check out our first episode titled Earth Day, where we interviewed Ken Frobig and Greg Lone, both graduates. Great, great conversation. But uh, Earth Day was the big topic, along with a bunch of other stuff as well, too. But now I want to shift over to staying connected to people that you both graduated and you worked with. Do you feel like you're still connected to the people from WOCR and are you even connected to the people that are from WNYO as well, too? Um, extremely close. I mean, what I got to tell you, social media certainly helped a great deal. But even before then, you know, uh, we kept in touch, you know, through um through letters and through uh, other things, through mini reunions through the years that, you know, weren't necessarily sanctioned by the college, but it's like, hey, how about 20 of us go up and, you know, hit the press box, you know? So we kept in touch all of those years uh, that way. And some of us professionally, because we were all working at different places and we all knew each other, you know? Um, I mentioned Al Roker, for example, Al and I, stayed in touch for many, many years. It isn't until I decided to retire, honestly, that I, I really had kind of lost, lost track. But if Al was in Baltimore for something, when I was working in Baltimore, I'd hear from him. He'd come and visit us at the station. In fact, I got a great picture of the two of us back in the old days when we really did look like disc jockeys and had lots of extra weight. <laughs> but, uh, um, but that's the famous ones. But there are others who, through the years, have remained really good, dear friends. And, you know, mentioning the names wouldn't really help any in, in this context. But not only are they, were they friends, they're friends today. And one of the most fun things we do is the communication dinner reunions. You know, if it was up to the core group of us, we'd have that reunion every year. We know the popularity of it wouldn't allow that. You know, it really is best of an every three-year event. But, uh, and we also look at it as an opportunity to find those seniors who now are like, what am I going to do with my life? Give them tips, give them ideas where to look, you know, because we're all connected so well in the business. We know some of the people who might even open the door for somebody who's truly talented. Um, and that is... Uh, another reason why it's great to stay in touch. Now, Hank, this has been great having you on the podcast and to have you on for this series for WNYO. But I want to ask you two more questions that I kind of want to help wrap up each of these episodes. The first of these questions being, what do you think the biggest impact was that you had on WNYO or for your case, WOCR? Um, I think the biggest impact was the fact that I set a precedent that people should be put into a time slot and a situation where they were, again, a repeatable, tunable function. So every morning when people woke up, they knew I would be there. And one of the great things about radio is that you are bonding with people you don't see, you've never seen. 
but yet your voice makes a connection. And that connection, I believe, helped the station. And I know after, you know, even my third year there and fourth year there, the whole attitude to change from student volunteers to we're going to find a select group and Monday through Friday when most people are on campus and at these time slots, we are going to make sure they're filled across the board with the same person. And that I think was probably the biggest impact because up until then, you know, outside of John Wong, when he was on the air at night, there was just whoever, whoever had a couple of free hours here and there. So I do think that that made a big difference on the station at that time. Now to flip that question around, what's the biggest impact that WOCR had on you? It taught me the importance to listen because when you're 18, 19, 20 years old, you're immortal, you're invincible, and you're always right. And you know all the answers. And when you would get criticized, who had a thick skin? You're 19 years old. You know, your world would be crushed because, you know, this girl who you liked, you know, said some crap about you and you went, oh my God, I'm a worthless human being. It's all part of growing up. When you learned to sit down and have somebody tell you constructively, destructively, um, emotionally, what they liked and what they didn't like about what you personally loved every minute of that taught you the importance of listening to when people are trying to help you or guide you. You know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, whether it be a boss later on in your career or the head of a company later on who doesn't like, you know, the way you've spent money or, or the girl who won't go out with you or whatever it may be, you learned to accept that and to realize that in not in every situation are you the best fit the best person the you know for whatever they're looking at nor does it mean you just give up and walk away you find a way to get better you find a way to improve every day and you find a way to make yourself um you know a, a project you're constantly working on that all came from those days when you would be really um and and again you know not to take away from wrvo's experience but there you had the teachers who would do the same thing to you. But it certainly helped you to build the confidence that, you know what, I do have the talent, I gotta work at it, and I will succeed. You couldn't get that, I don't think, from any classroom experience completely. And that is all the time we have for this episode of the Oswego Alumni Podcast. I'm excited to get to the next two special episodes showcasing the 80s and 90s, as well as the third episode showcasing the 2000s till now. Can't thank Hake Volpe enough for coming on and talking to us about the history of OCR in WNYO and sharing with us your members from back that day, including some awesome clips that we're able to listen to. So if you yourself or you know somebody else that you want to nominate to come on a future episode of the Oswego Alumni Podcast, feel free to email us at alumni at oswego.edu. We'll be sure to get right back to you about uh, being on a future episode. Episode 2 is looking to be out next week, so stay tuned to our social media at WNYO on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, we'll see you soon. The Oswego Alumni Podcast is brought to you by WNYO and the Oswego Alumni Association.